1: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. I drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league.
2: Where fantasy becomes
1: reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam.
0: Wowie! what happened to first base? The position used to be good. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on a Monday, June 29th, Frank Stanfield alongside Scott White and Chris Towers, 24 days until opening day, which apparently will feature Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer. That's a spicy matchup, should be a lot of fun. Today is our first base preview 2.0. And gentlemen, is first base the second most shallow position in Fantasy Baseball this season behind second base, especially when you consider DJ LeMayhew and Max muncie They have first base eligibility but I imagine most people will actually be playing them at second base. What do you think?
2: I think we have to start this conversation off with a, you know, a, a, what do we mean? What, what are we talking about when we talk about deep and shallow, you know, that, that kind of discussion, because in one way, I think first base is probably pretty shallow in terms of star level difference makers. First base is probably as shallow as it's ever been. I think you could, maybe say there's three and it really depends on whether you think Pete Alonso is a star level difference maker. Then you've got, you know, your Matt Olson's your Anthony Rizzo's your Paul Goldschmidt's uh, who are gr- good, maybe great players, but certainly don't count among the, you know, potential fantasy league winners. Let's say the guys who can carry your, your entire team, you know, those first round type guys. And, and so in that case, I think you can say it's, it's fairly shallow. On the other hand, you know, you can go down to – I'm looking at Fantasy Pros ADP and, you know, you can go down to Jock Peterson at 27 overall at first base, C.J. Crone at 30, Joey Votto at 31, Yandy Diaz at 32, Will Myers at 35, Howie Kendrick at 36. The point being, I could see any one of those guys, Evan White at 42, like I could keep going Justin Smoke at 45. I could see any one of those guys being a starting caliber fantasy hitter. I don't know if there's any position outside of outfield where you can legitimately say there might be 40-plus guys who could make a fantasy impact this season. It's just it's just a question of what you mean when you talk about depth uh, yeah. at a position. It's
3: kind of a shallow league versus deep league discussion, I sure. think, because – I mean, shortstop's kind of the opposite. Shortstop, we think of as very deep right now, but that's only if you're talking about a shallow league setting. If you're talking about a 15-team league where that also utilizes a middle infield spot, shortstop, you know, you could get you could get squeezed out of having a usable shortstop if you go that deep. But you now, most people listening probably playing in st- something 12 teams or shallower, and oftentimes with just a head-to-head lineup that doesn't even use a corner infield spot. Um, I would put, I would put first base behind second base, like you were saying, ahead of. Uh, Frank. Well, behind. And t- if we're ranking them from shallowest to deepest, I would uh, put yeah. first base behind second base. Uh, but it's it's pretty close. The reason that I would you know consider second base shallower is like Chris was saying, like you're never that far away from a potentially good hitter at first base, like first base isn't a defensive first position teams are always going to want to stick an extra bat there. So like, it's, you know, even as the season's playing out, there's a good chance a lot of usable options will emerge there though. Obviously you can't count on that as much in a 60 game season, but uh, yeah, it's a little lacking in star power right now. um, And there's a chance if you totally ignore it and try to fill it very late, you'll be, you'll be at a serious disadvantage, which isn't true at every infield position right now.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think, Chris, you you mentioned that there's not much star power here. I think that also makes a lot of sense. It's just, the position is just not what it used to be. You don't see as many guys going in the first round that are first basemen. Uh, Scott, I did want to ask you, have you adjusted your rankings at first base because of the shortened season at all? Because I was looking at which divisions face the most top 20 starting pitchers, according to ADP, and the NL East faces five. Uh, consistently will face five with DeGrom and all the Nationals guys uh, so you're looking at mm. Freddie Freeman there and then in the AL West you really just have two it's Verlander and Zach Granke so have you adjusted anything hmm. for the shortened season because of divisions
3: well that's interesting because the AL West has the most pitchers park so I was thinking, yeah so that's that, on the other a, hand too yeah, yeah. yeah so you have to balance that as well for hitters as opposed right. to a, a good one um Uh, I haven't, I haven't, I mean, the thing about Freddie Freeman specifically is like, he's so clearly number two at that position in between Cody Bellinger. And I guess Pete Alonzo is the obvious number three, though. I have a lot more, uh, concerns about Alonzo. And of course he's playing in the same division as Freeman, though, I guess not facing Degrom. Um, so yeah, I don't really, relative to the position anyway, I, I couldn't really even make a case to move Freddie Freeman down. Maybe, Move him down a little in the second round, um, but you know I'll, I'll have to look at that closer because uh, you know there there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, players I think you could move around pretty easily in the first half of the second round. Guys like Nolan Arenado and Jose Ramirez, um, yeah, people like that. So yeah, I could I could look at that some, but that's as far as I'd go with it.
2: And and I think it, it you can overthink that kind of analysis, yeah. um, you know the Braves are playing the Mets 10 times. And so you figure five man rotation, he should play Jacob DeGrom twice. He might not. And that would be right. He might, he might, right. he might face Jacob DeGrom four times. It might just be the way the schedule lines up uh, that, you know, those, I would assume three, three game series plus, you know, one will have a fourth, you know, it, it might, well, I guess he would only face him three times probably as the max, um, but it, it's possible that that's the way it lines up. And, you end up with a situation where Freddie Freeman faces him one time or he faces him three times. Either way, I think that's probably the kind of analysis you worry about more for pitchers because there are so many more plate appearances uh, for a hitter that those individual matchups, I don't know how much you should really worry about that kind of thing.
0: Let's jump into ADP. We mentioned not much star power. There is one. Cody Bellinger has first base eligibility, and he is being drafted inside the first five picks. He was the number one first baseman in both formats last year, both in Roto and in head-to-head points. He was a top five player, just in general, in both formats last year. Uh, One of the rare true five category players, 305 batting average, 47 home runs, 121 runs scored, 115 RBI, and 15 steals. Scott, I've got to ask. Is the 305 batting average last season misleading? From May 1st on, he hit 274. He's a career 278 hitter. He had that massive first month of the season where he hit over 400. He had like a 1,400 OPS. Is the 305 batting average from last season misleading, Scott?
3: I don't think it is. I think it would be more misleading to look at his batting average over the final four months and say, okay, he's this you know, 265, 270 hitter um, and completely ignore the fact he hit 431 in April and 319 in May. Uh, he significantly improved his contact rate last year. He went, uh, well, looking for to 2017, his rookie season, he was a very bad contact hitter, high strikeout rate. To last year he had an el- like an elite strikeout rate, especially for a guy with the power he has. Um, and, you know, the BABIP was 302. Compared to the three oh five batting average for the season, you look at the expected stats; they pretty much match up with what he actually delivered. So, I think I think he lived up to his season long stats. And if you try and slice and dice the season, you'll end up uh, with some incorrect assumptions there about about what Cody Bellinger is is and isn't good at.
2: And, and I would point out that you know that two seventy four average from May first on. I mean, one the 162 game pace from may 1st on was still 43 home runs 116 rbi 100, or 16 runs 102 rbi 13 stolen bases with the 274 average that's still probably if not a first round hitter very very close uh but i would also point out that I came with a 278 babbit and you know he is a career 305 babbit guy uh last year his overall babbit wasn't actually that high so you know, yeah, he hit 305 and it may have been a fluke, but if it's a fluke, it's because he doesn't sustain those contact gains, as Scott made, uh, Scott said. But from May 1st on, he only struck out 17, 17.6% of the time, which is still very, very good, especially for a power hitter. Uh, it's slightly higher than his overall season mark, but it does not really suggest to me that what he did last season was a fluke. It's just, is this a Giancarlo Stanton situation where, He had an outlier strikeout rate for one year, and it'll come back to earth. And, you know, then he maybe is a 275 hitter. But even if he is, it's very unlikely you're going to regret taking Cody
0: Oh Yeah, and I was just playing devil's advocate because I actually do trust the batting average. Based on the StatCast numbers, he was actually unlucky. His batting average last year was 305. His XBA was 323. Yeah. You don't normally see expected batting <laughs> averages like that. His slugging no. percentage was six twenty nine. His expected slug was six thirty-eight. So the guy just makes incredible contact. He was ninetieth percentile or better in barrel percentage, XBA, X Slug, Woba, X Woba, and X Wobacon. Egg and cheese. Great break. <laughs> great breakfast sandwich. Um, would you guys rather have
3: Cody Bellinger or Mookie Betts? I I would rather have Bellinger, but I know that's you know that's there has been some debate over that. There there are a lot of skeptics about Cody Bellinger in the season he just had. I I think especially because of the batting average he produced over the final four months. Um, and it's it's going to be like it, it's rare to find a stolen base source at first base. He is. He and Danny Santana are basically the only ones. Come on, Scott. Danny Santana. Uh, that's what I said. He yeah. <laughs> and Danny Santana are the only ones. Um, but, you know, even Bellinger stole 15 in a full-length season last year. So there's a chance he doesn't help at all when when that's the kind of threshold you're talking about over a 60-game season. You don't know exactly how that's going to break down. Um, and, and Betts, I think, has a, st- st- a steadier track record there, certainly a higher ceiling there and the stolen bases as well. So I get somebody who would take bets over Bellinger, but I would not.
2: If Betts wasn't switching leagues, I think it would be easier to make the case for him, but that just does introduce a, an unknown variable that you, I think you do have to dock him for just a bit.
0: But can't you argue, Chris, that it's a better lineup?
2: I mean, no. The Dodgers I lineup so. is uh, pretty damn good. Even in a down year for the Red Sox, I'm pretty sure they outscored the Dodgers last year. Um, it's just, and if they didn't, like they were still, I believe top. I think they were fourth in runs scored last year. The Red Sox, like that, that lineup, even without Mookie Betts, is still going to be one of the best in baseball. Um, so no, I, I think Mookie Betts is coming from one of the only situations where a move to the Dodgers would be a downgrade in uh, lineup. But I think it's also a downgrade in ballpark. And so when you add those factors in with the fact that hitters usually as a population hit perform worse uh, when they switch parks or when they switch leagues, excuse me. Uh, I would, I would just say that, that there are more things working against bets that are unknowns, not necessarily red marks.
0: A point to Chris Towers because the Boston Red Sox scored hundred, uh, 901 runs last year while the Dodgers scored 886 So there you go, Chris. Um, Scott, would you rather have Cody Bellinger in the mid first, or would you rather have Freddie Freeman in the early second?
3: Uh, I would rather have Cody Bellinger as a top five pick. Yeah, my my top five are uh, Acuna, Trout, Yelich, Bellinger, Betts. In a roto league, might take Acuna out and put Garrett Cole in, in a, in a head to head points league. But yeah, I, if I, if I get the spot to take Bellinger, I'm taking Bellinger. Well, you know, early in the second round, I'm probably, there's a good chance I'm looking at who, what starting pitcher is available. If it's a roto league, there's a good chance I'm looking at, at, at Jose Ramirez for the steals. Sometimes Alex Bregman falls there, which I think is ridiculous. So I almost always take him if he does. And it's, it's very rare that I've ended up with Freddie Freeman because of that.
0: Freddie Freeman was the number two first baseman in both formats last year. Uh, Top 10 hitter in both formats as well. For most of last season, Freddie Freeman uh, was the best version of himself that we've ever seen. He did need arthroscopic elbow surgery after the season, and he played with it during September, which kind of slowed him down uh, through August 31st last season. 299 batting average, a 964 OPS for Freddie Freeman. And then in September, it was 264 with a 754 OPS. Um... Chris, do you worry at all about the elbow, the fact that he had off-season surgery, and during the spring, he actually did have some elbow inflammation, so does that creep into your mind at all when you have to spend an early second-round pick on Freddie Freeman?
2: It creeps into the mind, of course, uh, but no, I, I have had zero fear of drafting Freddie Freeman. Maybe it, with the exception of when, we've, when he was actually dealing with that elbow soreness uh, in spring training, maybe it was a little concerning, but... No, I mean it's a situation where like you don't really ever have the opportunity to choose between like Cody Bellinger or waiting for Freddie Freeman cuz Freddie Freeman's likely going to be gone when mm-hmm. you're in a spot where Cody Bellinger where you would pass on Cody Bellinger. Right. But like if it did come down to if it was Garrett Cole and Freddie Freeman versus Cody Bellinger and Steven Strasburg I would rather have Freddie Freeman in that situation. It's just not a scenario that is likely to play out in your draft. And if you want a difference maker at first base and you're bad and you're, you know, drafting from the fourth spot, you can't really afford to yeah, uh, take that risk. I guess you could probably take Pete, Pete Alonzo in the third, but I'm wary of that.
3: Yeah. The, the thing about like Freddie Freeman, never, Almost never lasts that long late yeah. in the second round, at least not in the industry mocks, because it is a like there's a a bigger drop off between Freeman and Alonzo than there is between Bellinger and Freeman. I mean, Freeman and yeah. Bellinger, they're at least going to dominate four categories. Uh, and Bellinger might contribute in the fifth stolen bases. So, Freddie, um, Freddie,
0: Freddie Freeman's not a nothing in steals yeah. uh, in a 60 game season, you know, maybe he'll give you three out of five.
2: He's not a nothing. I mean, wait so, a second. Wait a second. He stole eight in in 2017, in 117 games. He stole 10 in 2018 in 162. Then he stole six last year. So, you know, it depends on whether you see that as a trend or whether he just, you know, like he is someone that you can, like Anthony Rizzo kind of used to be where you never want to rely on him as a contributor, but he'll chip in a few. I I do think there's a decent chance Freddie Freeman's better than Cody Ballinger this year. I'm not going to say it's 50 50 but it might be 25 75 Freddie Freeman is really good when he's healthy and hitting for power and basically that's been three of the last four seasons he had that breakout in his age 26 season in 2016 um was a top five fantasy player for basically the second half of 2016 all the way through 2017 until he had that I think it was a wrist injury in 2017 2018 was bad Although he still led the the National League in hits and doubles, so I, yeah. you know the upside is a guy who hits three fifteen with thirty five homer, forty homer pace. Whether- well, I mean,
3: I think that I think he could even hit for a higher batting average than sure. that. Freddie Freeman is the highest, is the best batting average source at the position, I would say. And yes, there's there's a reasonable chance he finishes ahead of Bellinger. I think it'll be one of those guys who's tops at the position. But my my point was like he's not going to fall beyond. Yeah into the second half of the second round or beyond that, just because, like, Pete Alonso I include in the tier after that, and it's a very large tier. So, like, if you're playing the tiers, you you can only allow Freeman to
2: fall so far. I have taken Freddie Freeman in the first round.
3: Yeah, and I
0: can't blame you for it either. The batting average, Scott mentioned, 295 or better each of the past four seasons for Freddie Freeman. So a legit contributor in that category. And he's great in points leagues too. I mean, the plate discipline is awesome. A 12.6% walk rate for Freddie Freeman last year. Uh, The strikeouts each of the past three years below 19%. So he's great regardless of format. Can't knock you if you wanted to take him in the late first, early second round. We've mentioned the name a lot already today. Pete Alonzo. ADP is in the third round. 26.8 is the ADP to be exact. He was the number three first baseman in both roto and head-to-head points. Of course, he set the rookie record for home runs last year with 53 home runs. But guys, I have concerns over Pete Alonzo. And I think Chris, you share the same concerns. I'm about to find out if, if I do too. If Scott does as well. All right. Yeah. The thing is, if you're drafting a power source in the third round of drafts, that power source really needs to excel in the home runs, in the RBI categories, and maybe there's a chance that Pete Alonso just does what he did again last year, at least on a pace basis for a 60-game season, but I'm willing to bet against it. He doesn't hit the ball as hard as other people who you know, we consider those elite sluggers. His uh, 90.6 mile per hour average exit velocity was in the 78th percentile last year, and his slugging percentage in the second half it dropped from 634 to 522. His strikeouts went up. His infield fly ball rate went from 8.5% in the first half to 19% in the second half. Scott, if you want a power-only source, why don't you just wait three rounds and take Matt Olson?
3: Yeah, no, I think they're very similar. I like Pete is a great power hitter. He's an 80-grade power bat, according to some publications when he was graduating last year. So it wasn't surprising to see him make a significant contribution in that category setting a rookie record with 53 leading the majors. Okay. Nobody predicts that obviously, but is Pete Alonso going to be a consistent 40 Homer pace guy. I think it's fair to assume he, he will be, but that's, you know, that's still a big drop off from what he was last year. Uh, And when you compare him to, to other players that we think have the potential for a 50 Homer season, guys like Aaron judge and Miguel Sano, Joey Gallo, Giancarlo Stanton, like, Pete Alonso doesn't measure up to them in terms of how hard he hits the ball. Now, he doesn't measure up to them, at least Judge Sinew and Gallo, in terms of strikeouts either. So, like, he can. I'm not scared of of, like the the batting average bottoming out. He was a 260 hitter last year. I'm I'm not so worried about that because he actually doesn't strike out a, a frightening amount for a guy who has that 40 homer power, but I don't think he legitimately has 50 homer power either. I think that's reserved for a very select group that he's not a part of. And he's more like the, the Matt Olson tier of power hitters.
2: Yeah, He's an interesting case because you know, that average exit velocity, like you said, is pretty low. Um, But when you look at average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives, which would be the more relevant uh, thing when we're talking about power, you know, he is 20th in baseball and in terms of, Uh, barrels per plate appearance he was 11th so you know it is a situation where looking at just that average exit velocity doesn't necessarily tell the whole story Mike Trout never stands out by average exit velocity he's the best hitter in baseball so you know consistency also matters and you know once you start playing with the leaderboards on baseball savant you sort by average home run uh, distance he's 13th and so you know I do think he is closer to an elite raw power bat than just the average exit velocity uh, showcases. However, that being said, you know, you said why draft uh, Pete Alonzo when you can get Matt Olson three rounds later. Well, once you start playing that game, it's like, well, why draft Matt Olson <laughs> at 55 when you get Josh Bell at 84? Or why draft Josh Bell at 84 when you can get Miguel Sano at 118? Josh or, Bell and,
3: goes that 30 picks after Matt Olson.
2: Yeah. That is outrageous.
3: And so that doesn't happen in our
2: drafts. That doesn't happen at all. And and so that's why it's less for me about my concerns about Pete Alonso as a player. I do think he is a a relatively safe version of that bat, especially compared to Miguel Sano. Um, But it's more just to say that in an environment like this, where every position seems to have a guy who can hit 40 home runs, and you can get Miguel Sano 120th. You can get Fran Mel Reyes uh, even later than that, 136th at a different position. You can get Kyle Schwarber at 143. You know, once you start talking about guys who are basically home run hitters, like that's where they derive most of their value. And I think that's what Pete Alonso falls under. He needs to have a really exceptional season to justify this kind of price. And that's why I haven't taken Pete Alonzo this year. It's not that I don't like him. It's just that his skill set is the easiest one to find in baseball yeah. right now.
3: I do think Olsen's a good comp though. My expected production for those two is virtually identical. The thing is Josh Bell like might be even better. He might do more things than just hit the home runs. Maybe Maybe fall a little short in the home runs. Maybe not. Uh, but I, I think he's definitely the better batting average source. So it's, yeah, it's that's... Josh Bell is a guy I am drafting. He's, he's probably my most frequently drafted first baseman, honestly. And uh, I, was, I didn't even realize he was going that far behind those two on average.
0: Yeah, and also consider when you're drafting Pete Alonzo in the third round of a Roto League, you're taking him ahead of Starling Marte, who is going to give you batting average, going to give you steals. And there are other players similar, like... Baez is going to give you steals. Uh, Javier Baez it is. Ozzy Albies is going to give you steals. Cattell Marte will chip in some steals and also give you batting average. So batting average and steals are scarce uh, categories, obviously for fantasy baseball and Roto Leagues. Uh, And Mm -hmm. Pete Alonso gives you what is, you know, as Chris labeled, the easiest categories to fill, uh, especially later on in your draft. So just keep those things in mind. We've already, you know, mentioned the names a few uh, times here, but... With Matt Olson and Josh Bell, there are one, two, three, four, five. Five first basemen. I did not include DJ LeMayhew and Max Muncie on this list, because again, I think those guys are probably going to be used at second base. Um
3: mm. I don't I I have drafted both as my first baseman yeah. more yeah, than once. You can't more than, more, I won't say that you can't do it. You can do it, but I think can, most people I, are probably gonna use them at second. I, I think those positions are close enough in how you know, how the depth, depth-wise, that it's it's close to a coin flip, whether you play LeMahieu or Muncie at first base or second base.
2: I mean, that that also, like, you're probably drafting Catal Marte, like, 65% of the time. And so you've probably already got second base filled up. Then that's specifically... Um, I don't for, think so. Yeah. I actually
3: don't draft Catal Marte that much just because he goes where a lot of starting pitchers do. But that's fine. That's fine. If... If you guys want to make the case that LeMahieu and Muncie are, are primarily second basemen, that's fine. I'm just saying, like, a lot of times I'll I'll draft them thinking, oh, I have my second baseman now. And then somebody like Kevin Biggio will be there later. And I'll be like, but I already have a second baseman. Whatever, I'll shift this guy to first. And uh, it turns out fine.
0: So, in rounds five to seven, Anthony Rizzo goes in the fifth. Olsen is... On the turn of the fifth and sixth rounds, uh, Paul Goldschmidt is in the sixth round, Jose Abreu is in the seventh, and then Josh Bell is at the turn, the seventh, eighth round turn. Before we get into uh, Olsen and Josh Bell a little bit more, you guys know by now, I am a Jose Abreu truther. In roto and head-to-head categories, leagues, I love Jose Abreu. He is my fourth-ranked first baseman in Roto Leagues. Uh, in six seasons that he has played in Major League Baseball, he's batted 284 or better in five of those. He has driven in 100-plus RBI in five of those, and he has hit 30 or more home runs in four of those. Scott, I've got to ask you, because I believe you have Rizzo as your fourth-ranked first baseman, and you have Jose Abreu outside the top 10. Based on ADP, if you can get Jose Abreu two rounds later wouldn't you rather take those two rounds of value over Anthony Rizzo in a roto league in a points league? It's completely different because Rizzo's plate discipline is much better.
3: Uh, I have yet to draft Anthony Rizzo this year. I feel pretty confident saying that. And I, you know, I've done probably close to 50 drafts at this point. Um, I probably have, I haven't drafted a very much, but I, I think I have drafted him before. So I guess just going by that standard, uh, yes um you know it's it's more because the range rizzo goes in i'm very focused on starting pitcher and i don't feel, like he's just they're both kind of boring picks right they're both kind of boring they're not going to neither one has much hope of being the number one player at the position let's say um rizzo i think is a safer profile uh, you know he's going to give you runs and you know a you won't. I think batting average maybe Abreu has a slight edge, but only a slight one. Rizzo could have a higher batting average. Um, they're they're in Roto specifically. They're pretty close now in points leagues. Rizzo trounces.
0: Oh yeah, no uh, doubt about trounces
3: it. Trounces Abreu because he has much better plate discipline. He's one of the best plate discipline hitters there is. Uh, but it, it's it's pretty close in Roto, um, especially if you you think that you know two years in a row now. Rizzo's been falling short of 30 homers, if that's a trend or if it's just kind of a fluky thing and you still expect him to finish between 30 and 35 homers at that kind of pace anyway. Scott, we've got to make some moves in these rankings then because
0: Rizzo fourth, Jose Abreu at 11, disrespected my guy, Scott.
3: Like I said, it's a big tier here. So it's, you know, if if you follow, if you the, if you take the tiers approach to its logical conclusion, then they're ranked the same, even though, they're that far apart. And for Roto Leagues, they probably are in the same tier. For Points Leagues, like I said, they're not.
2: So here's an interesting one. Before 2019, when Jose Abreu led the – did he lead the majors or just the AL and, and RBI? Either The, way, the AL. There's some, there's some bold lettering on that RBI column for 2019. When was the last time before last season that Jose Abreu had more RBI than Anthony Rizzo? Based on the way you're asking the question, I'm going to say it probably hasn't been done. 2014, Jose Abreu's yeah. rookie season, um, which was also, I think, his best season uh, by a pretty decent margin. And, and I, I point that out just to say that, you know, RBI are kind of Jose Abreu's strongest category. Um, you know, because he is a contact-oriented power hitter, not an elite power hitter, but a good one, Uh, he's going to be playing in a good lineup. He is someone who you should expect to, you know, probably outproduce in RBI. Um, most players at his position. Well, Anthony Rizzo has been better. And so then I look at, well, Jose Abreu's 33, Anthony Rizzo is 31 or will be on August 8th. And so like, if I'm talking, if I'm looking at those two guys, yeah. I mean, maybe Jose Abreu, because he goes a little later, uh, has a little more value but if if again if that's my my thought process I think I'd rather just wait the round that Josh Bell usually goes later and take him instead of Abreu because if you look at all the the batted ball metrics Josh Bell was as good or better than mm-hmm. Abreu last season and he's not 33 that ultimately what it comes down to for me is you know Abreu isn't in that same Pete Alonso category because I do think Abreu will be more helpful in batting average um but he's, a, he's not a, a threat to run at all. And so he really has to hit really well. And at 33, you know, we have seen, like he was, what was it, 14th, I think, at first base in OPS last season. He's not necessarily a special bat anymore. And so, you know, those counting stats do have to carry quite a bit of weight for him in a Roto League. And at that point, you know, he tweaks an ankle and misses two weeks. It, you know, the, the pace starts to fall off pretty sharply. And so that's, for me, where it comes down to with Jose Abreu is that it's, again, not that I dislike him. Um, I just don't love him. And this is a position where I want to love the value. You might love the value on Josh
0: Bell. I know Scott does, based on what we've said so far. You get him on that seventh, eighth round turn. Scott, for me, it just comes down to... Who is the real Josh Bell? Because last year was basically a tale of three seasons. From March through May, he had an OPS over 1,100 with 18 home runs. June and July, 766 OPS where he batted just 213. August on, he hit 258 with an 892 OPS. So, I mean, where are you on Josh Bell? Where do you kind of think that he settles in ultimately? Because he is kind of hard to figure out based on... Looking at the season yeah. in those three parts,
3: yeah, and it—it's—it's it's possible, I guess, the league caught up to him, and I—I um, I, I think he's proven himself legitimately as a power hitter. Like that was the biggest question heading about Josh Bell heading into last season. Uh, you know, launch angle kept getting better. The hard contact was there even during his rough stretch of the se- season, like August. He hit eight home runs, I think, or maybe even nine. Like he's, he's going to hit for power at this point. And it's just a question of what the all-around profile is going to look like. Well, he's, al- he's always been a guy who has good plate disciplines, really stood out for that. When he was at his very best, the expected numbers backed up the actual numbers. Uh I think it's kind of like Cody Bellinger where I think the most likely scenario for Bell moving forward is the full season stats and the full season stats are still studly, you know, 270 something he hit with nearly 40 homers and got on base a lot. I mean, that that would still be great, but I'm not ruling out the possibility he's actually closer to the guy we saw early in the season. And that guy probably, you know, he would have been flirting with first round status in fantasy. So to get him in round eight, um, to me, that's, that's all upside at that point. Like, it's, it's – even if – like, his worst-case scenario is probably, like, 250 hitter with 30, 32 homer, that kind of pace anyway. Uh, and then the best-case scenario, you're talking about first-round production. So I, I love taking Josh Bell there. He's provided a good excuse for why he uh, collapsed down the stretch. He, he, you know, started playing to the breaking ball, basically, and was late on fastballs. okay problem solved right the data seems to back it up if that's true I mean I I think he could get back to being just a total stud MVP candidate type player
2: yeah I mean the issues for him are the platoon splits he had a 761 OPS against lefties if that's who he is he can probably continue to be the guy he was last season Um, but if that takes a step back things the, the the margin for error starts to get a little slimmer but one thing when I look at him, though, is, you know, when you look at, like, the rolling averages, say 50-game rolling averages as the season goes along, early on he was a, an outrageously high Babbitt guy. You know, you're talking 380, 390 for most of the first half of the season. From that point on, it was basically like 235. Uh, the infield fly ball rate did creep up, but not to the point where, you know, it wasn't it wasn't alarming. It wasn't like 15%. The highest it got was like 10 to 11% for a few stretches. And so – like, yeah, he probably got figured out a little bit. Um, but I, I still think there's a lot to like about him. He's got a good contact profile, hit the ball really hard last season, uh, you know, just behind Pete Alonzo uh, in average exit velocity on fly balls and line drive. So, yeah, he is someone who uh, Josh Bell, I, I think, mostly is for real.
0: Is he the one that you're most likely to draft from this group,
2: Chris? Um. Yes.
3: Same for you, Scott. Yeah, I'm, I said it before. He's my most drafted first baseman. I'm pretty sure. And I'm not... I don't think anyone comes close. Maybe, Matt Olson probably comes the closest. But, you know, judging by average ADP here on Fantasy Pros, 55 for Olsen versus 84 for Bell. I mean, I'm only taking Olson if he really falls. And Bell, I'm you know, I might take him a little earlier than 84th, actually.
0: Is it fair to say that Paul Goldschmidt is probably the... First baseman you're least likely to draft from
3: this group? I'd say probably for all of us, no. Um I don't know that that's technically true. I I ha- he's on my bust list. I I'm worried he's going to bust this year. His you know, obviously his production was down last year. Anybody can see that, but specifically it's the batting average against the fastball. The four seam fastball just plummeted. So I'm worried his bat is slowing down. Um but it seems like everybody shares that worry to a degree. So sometimes Paul Goldschmidt just falls to a point yeah. where it's, it's stupid value. And I've, I've taken him sometimes when that happens. doesn't always happen. Some people are, of course, you see Paul Goldschmidt's name there. You're, some people are really enthusiastic about taking him. But sometimes he falls. And, you know, whether I, I see the bust potential or not, I, I can't just ignore value. Speaking of the
0: bus potential, we will have our sleepers, breakouts, and bus. I just want to quickly promote some things. We're going to have a mailbag this Friday, so be sure to drop a five-star Apple Podcast review and leave your question there. We will read it this Friday. Of course, you can send your questions, at cbsi.com as well. You can email us, uh, but if you want to guarantee that we answer your question, leave a five-star Apple Podcast review and drop your question in there. And Chris... You kinda hit us with some breaking news before yeah, yeah, that Chris. Oh, yeah, that right. one. <laughs> you, you you kinda broke some news to us before the show that the commissioner product for fantasy baseball yes. on CBS this year is free. F-R-E-E free. Tell the people. Uh
2: no, yeah. The commissioner product, which is, you know, fully customizable, uh, you know, kind of I would say best in the industry. Tons of features, tons of <laughs> options. When we're you know, when we talk about um you know this double header, triple header schedule that you want, you might want to do to take to get the most out of this shortened season. That's the kind of thing you can do on CBS Commissioner. You can schedule multiple matchups. You can really customize your schedule as much as you want. You can go up to thirty teams per league, however big roster size you want to do, flex positions, whatever you want to do. There's total customization, uh, keeper stuff. You know, I think it's at the very least it's free. So try it out and see see what you think because you know I really do think it's it's certainly my favorite platform mm. to play on and <laughs> I, that was true before I started working at CBS. Hey, yeah, hey.
3: same same for me. I, the, I, I <laughs> yeah, no, that was the league we chose, independent of me working there. And and since then, I've been able to set up my dream Dynasty League on it. Um, so like if you if you have you know these things these ideas that seem too ambitious a place like cbs commissioner that's that's where you can do it so this is a perfect time to get started when it's it's free it's free so why not
0: yeah and a lot of people have already been asking us you know how do i set up those double headers and those triple headers i don't have that league setting in in you know the where i play on, on the site that i play well with the cbs uh, commissioner product you can make that happen so Do it. Why not? It's free. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, sleepers, breakouts, and busts at the first base position. We'll do that here. Fantasy Baseball Today. Warned by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. Also, homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball. Today, sleepers, breakouts, and bus at the first base position. This is our first base preview 2.0 sleepers. Scott, get us started.
3: Sleeper at first base. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm gonna go with so it's tough to distinguish between sleeper and breakout, right? Uh, do you have one, Chris? I might need a minute to think. Here. I feel like
0: breakout has more upside. That's kind of how I've always perceived it, or yeah, maybe it's, hasn't it's, done it's something all, that they've done before. You know,
2: it's all this is all semantics. You know, we've we've had these arguments all the time. I think <laughs> sleepers generally go later, but you know, you can talk about like a Giancarlo Stanton going sixty. He was one of my sleepers, just because I think people were. Literally sleeping on his potential. Um, my favorite sleeper, I, I did my first base preview on cbsports.com. You can go check it out. And uh, my sleeper pick, I did a sleeper break on bus for each. Justin Smoke is my favorite sleeper at first base. He was not good last year, hit 208. Um, does not, I think his ADP on cbsports.com right now is 315. I think it's later than that on Fantasy Pros. Uh, and there were concerns about whether he was going to play or not. I think with the DH that's likely out the window now. and you know he was arguably the biggest underperformer in last last season based on the Saass expected data. Now whether you know that's a fatal flaw in his game, he is slow, he is uh, shiftable. but you know if you think it was bad luck, then you're talking about a guy who does have 35 to 40 homer potential and can hit more like 250 or 260. Uh, playing half his games in Miller Park, good lineup. Justin Smoke, uh, big winner with the DH, and you know, my favorite sleeper at the position.
3: I want to go with like Ryan Mountcastle or Nate Lowe here, but I'm just worried they're not really going to get a chance with the season so short. Um, I'm gonna, I'm actually, I think I'm gonna say Dominic Smith of the Mets. Hopeful that he's the better half of a platoon with Yoan Cespedes now that they have a DH spot to work with. I think JD G- Davis is a lock for either left field or DH, maybe bouncing between the two every day. But Cespedes and, and Smith are going to uh, to have an impact there too. And if if Smith plays enough, uh, he could he could be surprising in fantasy. Just project out his numbers from last year, and I mean you're talking about certainly a starting caliber player, and anything that has like five outfield spots, a quarter infield spot. So definitely on the deeper side of sleeper. No, I'm not drafting him in a standard mixed league, but Smith is going to be somebody I'm monitoring both for performance and playing time because he could really surprise
0: yeah, I'm going deeper here as well. You mentioned name already here today, Chris. CJ Crone for me, 55 home runs over his last two seasons. He hit 25 last year in just 125 games. So that was a 31 home run pace over 155 games and 15% barrel rate. Hit the ball extremely well last year. That was tied for seventh in baseball. It was higher than Bryce Harper. It was higher than Cody Bellinger, Freddie Freeman, Juan Soto. No, I'm not expecting C.J. Krohn to be anywhere near as good as any of those players. But I do think he's going to probably play every single day for Detroit. And I do think there's some sneaky power there. Um, Not drafting him in a 12-team league either, but you play in Roto, you need a corner infielder, 15-team league, whatever it might be. I think C.J. Krohn does have some sleeper appeal there.
3: Breakout. Scott, who do you have as a breakout at first base? All right, this one's easier. It's Luke Voigt. And, uh, you know, he was probably my breakout pick at the position last year. I actually drafted a lot more of him last year than I am this year. But it's not really through any fault of his own. Um, You know, look at what he did in the first half. He was basically... He probably should have been representing the AL team in the All-Star game. Uh really good at getting on base, a really good line drive hitter. Does strike out a lot, but the line drives help mitigate that. and and has all the power you'd expect from a corner infielder in today's uh in today's environment. Um in fact, if you if you combine his stats from the end of 2018 after the Yankees acquired him and the first half of of 2019 before he had uh, a core muscle injury that eventually re- put him on the IL for a while, required surgery, and really messed him up in the second half. But if you just take those numbers from when he was healthy and productive, Voigt, I mean, he's, he's basically, uh, you know, kind of even better, the numbers look, than what I'm expecting from Pete Alonso, frankly. is like a 44-homer pace over 162-game season. Just really, really good production from Luke Voigt. And, uh, you know, obviously in a deep lineup, so the RBI and runs will be there. There is a playing time question just because they have to find uh, at-bats for Miguel Andujar, but they seem more more likely to play him in the outfield in spring training 1.0, Andujar, than at first base. So Voigt's, Voigt's role
2: looks pretty safe. We don't even have to do – and Luke, Luke Voigt is my pick for breakout at first base as well. We don't even have to do the arbitrary endpoints of, you know, when the Yankees acquired him to the first half – or the All-Star break in 2018 – just everything that he has done since joining the Yankees uh including the the really bad last like month of the season when he was dealing with that herni- sports hernia uh, he's played 157 games with the Yankees he's hit 280, 384 on base 517 slug 901 ops 35 homers 95 rbi 100 runs like that's anthony rizzo basically yeah. um and so you know maybe a little less batting average but Similar production to what I expect from a guy like Rizzo, from what I expect from a guy like Jose Abreu, uh, maybe from what I expect from Josh Bell. I think Josh Bell probably has more upside. But, yeah, I think Luke Voigt is being weirdly overlooked this season. I don't know if it's because of concerns about playing time or what, but he's 197th in ADP right now, which just, like, frankly seems ridiculous. Like, he's (laughs) behind Ryan McMahon, who's done – nothing yeah. in his major league career to suggest that he should like that. It's, it's absurd. Brandon Lau, uh, like Hunter Dozier had a good season last year, but I just, I can't make sense of Luke Voigt going around 200 right now. It seems like one of the better values at any position. He's
0: going behind Christian
2: Vasquez. Think about that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's wild. I like, I, I think there's a part of it. That's just, Oh, he got figured out and that's why he was so bad. No, in the he was playing hurt. Like, like, he might have been. I don't know. But you can't Oh, he definitely say. was. No, no, no. I, I mean, he might have been figured out. Oh, okay. He was okay. definitely playing hurt, but even if, like, maybe he was figured out, there's no way to know that when he was playing hurt. He was really good basically right up until the injury. Even, you know, a few weeks after the All-Star break, before the injury really became an issue, he was still hitting. And so I just, I don't see any reason to be skeptical on Luke Voigt. Uh, he didn't exactly back up his 2018, but he proved it was, he's real. Yeah. And I, I think he's going to be in that lineup pretty much every day. And, and
3: another thing to keep in mind, like they misdiagnosed that injury at first, he was playing yeah. with it, eventually gave in, had sports hernia surgery. And then they discovered in the offseason it was really a core muscle issue. So like, yeah, you just got to throw that second half out for, for Luke Voigt. Yeah. It's, it's only a playing time question for me, basically. And I think it's a legitimate one, but it's, you know, he's definitely worth where he's going.
0: Surprise, surprise. The Yankees uh, messing something up when it comes to an injury. (laughs) We've never seen that before. Uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. Someone who's going to gain first base eligibility in the first week of the season, Miguel Sano. I I guess you can argue that he's broken out, but he's never done it over the course of a full season. If he's ever going to do it, he should be able to do it over a 60-game span in this shortened season. He averaged 3.3 fantasy points per game last year. That was the same as Matt Olson. He hit 34 home runs in 105 games. That is a 50-homer pace over the course of 155 games. You're telling me that if both he and Pete Alonso play 60 games, that they can't have somewhat similar production, and you're getting him eight rounds later? Miguel Sano... Breakout pick for me. Just has to stay on the field, Scott. Let's quickly hit the bus here at the first base position. Who do you think is a bust?
3: I already kind of got into Paul Goldschmidt. He's he's one of my top bust picks at any position. I'm gonna go with Reese Hoskins instead, since I already talked about Goldschmidt, and I'm sure he'll be what I take your pick,
2: Frank. No, I I like I like Reese Hoskins. (laughs) Reese Hoskins, and this the bus section is not going to be very friendly to Frank. Oh yeah. no,
3: no! I'm leaving Goldschmidt for somebody. I should probably say Goldschmidt, but I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about Reese Hoskins, uh, because in terms of if we're talking about a bust being somebody who has the potential to just completely bottom out, I think that I, I think Hoskins is that. Um, looking back over the way his career has gone, we have a pretty a pretty. Steady track record now of him not actually making great contact like you'd expect for a power hitter. Uh, he hits, he puts the ball so much in the air, so much, and hits it hard enough that when you're putting the ball in the air that much, you're gonna end up with a decent number of home runs as he does. But it's really going to hurt your batting average, uh, the number of fly balls that don't leave the park. And he he hit only 198 over the last four months. Last year, of course, 226 overall, so bad either way you look at it. But 198 over a four month span, like from a first baseman, a lot of teams aren't going to put up with that. Now, he does get on base a lot, even at hitting 198, he had a 344 on base percentage, so that's saving him for now. And maybe it'll save him altogether. He also talked, changed to swing this offseason, we don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but you know, maybe it can help a lot of these issues. It's clearly though. He recognized, you know, this is a big enough problem that I have to do something drastic. And, you know, making a drastic change at this point of his career. There's just no telling how it's going to go. But it's a desperate situation for Hoskins now. Uh, I think if he continues being a 200-type hitter, he could go the way of, like, Chris Carter and just not be able to find a job anymore. Chris
2: Carter. Reese Hoskins is a good example of why averages aren't often all that helpful. He had the highest launch angle in, in baseball last season, but it was only, you know, a degree or two higher than Mike Trout's. And so clearly hitting the ball in the air a lot is not a bad thing. The problem is when you look at Mike Trout, you know, uh, baseball savant has all these visualizations that you can look at. And there's one that's launch angle. And Mike Trout, it's like, everything is between like 15 and 25 degrees, basically. It's Which basically is exactly just Line drive after line it. drive after yeah. line drive. Reese Hoskins, it's like, a big spike at like 40 degrees, a big spike at like five degrees. And he's just all over the place. And that's, he's he's an extreme fly ball hitter. But, but the issue is not just that he's an extreme fly ball hitter. It's that he's an extreme infield fly ball hitter. He hits a ton of infield fly balls. I mentioned, you know, the worst stretches of Josh Bell's 2019 were like a 10 to 11% infield fly ball rate. The best stretch of Reese Hoskins 2019 was 9.6% over a 50 game stretch of, of his, fly balls being pop-ups and so that just tells you this dude just wastes plate appearances he wastes plate appearances by striking out which you can live with but you have to be good on contact and he's not but he's not a bus pick for me just because i do see potential there i agree agree with frank and i believe at least like you said at least he did recognize something was wrong and that he needed to fix it with his swing and so that makes me more optimistic that he can figure it out than I would have been otherwise.
0: He was day to day with a hand injury in August last year as well. So that's something that might have affected his production. The second half was atrocious. You're right, Scott. I can't defend that.
3: But I don't want to. Four months, not even just the second half.
0: I, I don't want to discount what he did in the first half. I mean, he hit 252, 375, 537. Oh, no, 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 that was, uh, that's over the course of the second half of 2018 and the first half of 2019. Um, but in the first half, he had 263 with a 530 slug. So I don't want to just completely discount you know, what he did in that first half. He was someone being drafted in the first four rounds last season, and now you're getting him outside the top 100 picks. So uh, Scott and I are going to disagree there, and it seems like Chris is probably closer to me when it comes to Reese Hoskins as well. Uh, Chris, hit us with a bus real quick.
2: It's Jose Abreu, like I said, you know, he led the AL in in RBI last season and finished eighth in first base uh, in, uh, I believe that was head-to-head points last season. And so that just kind of shows you how mediocre he was overall. 12th in the position in OPS among qualifiers, um, and he's 33. And so when we talk about guys that we're discounting for age, it seems like Jose Abreu the best thing he has going for him is that he's a relatively safe hitter and he's a relatively safe hitter who's 33, which means he's not all that safe.
0: I only have one thing to say to that, Chris. Mercy! How dare you? Hawk Harrelson is not proud of what you just said. All right, let's get back into ADP real quick and round things out here. Uh, round 10, all three of these players are separated by seven picks and we just spoke about Reese Hoskins, but Carlos Santana and Miguel Sano, mind you, This is for Fantasy Pro's ADP. In a head-to-head points league on CBS Sports, you can sort ADP by head-to-head and by Roto. Carlos Santana's ADP in a head-to-head league is in the sixth round. As it should be. And it should be. It should be. Um, Scott, he continues to get it done from that perspective. He was the fourth best first baseman last year. 3.6 fantasy points per game. Again, this is Carlos Santana. That was the same as Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso's going in the third round. Carlos Santana, you're getting in the 10th. Scott, will he ever slow down in a points league?
3: <laughs> oh well, he's thirty-four now, so eventually he showed he showed no signs last year. No, right, no signs this year. I'm, and I'm not worried about it this year. Um, you know, to the, it, it, you know, you, you start to worry anytime a player's thirty-four, I guess. But like you said, no clear signs. I'm not avoiding him because of his age. It's Carlos Santana has long been the clearest example of a player who excels in points. Beyond what he does in Roto, although last year he actually got his batting average up to a point that he was a stud in Roto too, 33rd player overall in Roto. Um, But that was I'm I'm not sure you can count on those changes to stick. He started to regress back to the more to his usual batting average range, which would be like, you know, the 250 range in the second half. And, uh, you know, you probably shouldn't count on him sustaining that pace for for Roto. But it's worth pointing out he was actually a roto stud last year, too. Um, you know, I don't know why in roto ADP he goes behind Reese Hoskins. I would definitely like they, they seem to excel in similar ways. I think Santana is uh less oh, likely just to aged. just bury you in batting average, yeah. I mean, I guess, um, but that that kind of speaks to why I'm not enthusiastic about drafting Hoskins, I guess. I, I think. I think Carlos Santana tends to get underrated in both formats, actually. Um, He does get drafted a lot higher in head-to-head, which he should, but I still don't think it's high enough. And in Roto, he just seems to get totally disrespected. He's a perfectly competent starting option for you, whether he hits 250 or 280 like he did last year.
0: Yeah, and I actually drafted Carlos Santana in the head-to-head points Tout Wars auction, Uh, I guess I bought him at his price. I spent like $21 on him, so still very bullish on him in that format. Um, even still, I have him at $16 in head-to-head points, and Scott, you have him at $17, so I overpaid even a little bit, and I don't mind doing it when it comes to Carlos Santana in that format. Rounds 11 through 13, we have three names here that really stand out to me here, Chris. Yuli Guriel, Danny Santana, and Edwin Encarnacion. Three very different players. <laughs> um, do you buy any of what Yuli Gurriel and Danny Santana did last year because Gurriel, while he always made contact, he was always a plus contributor for batting average, finally raised his launch angle and started hitting for power. He had that stretch in the middle of the season where he basically hit like 20 home runs in a 40-game a span. And then Danny Santana uh, basically just came back from the dead. Entering 2019, he was a 256 hitter with a 667 OPS. Last year, he hit 283 with an 857 OPS, 28 home runs, and 21 steals. Chris, what do we do with Yuli Gurriel and Danny Santana?
2: Uh, I don't tend to draft either one of them. Um, But, you know, the one thing with Danny Santana is like he hit the crap out of the ball last season 90th percentile on average exit velocity, 78th percentile on hard hit rate. Like he actually did hit the ball really, really hard. Um, And so, you know, you can't really fake that. And he is fast, and so I think he's going to hit for power, uh, and I think he's going to steal bases. The problem is, I'm not sure he'll, you know, make enough contact for that to matter. And it's always possible that, you know, the the power was a fluke. I I think it's unlikely, but he's not someone that I tend to draft much at all. Yuli Guriel, he has to fall, and sometimes he does. You know, sometimes. I want to say the one time I drafted him this year it was in like the 150-160 range and if he's there I think there are reasons to like Yuli Gurriel he's going to be a good source of batting average uh, you know as a as a corner infielder the problem is he just the pop wasn't real last season it just like he if you look at the underlying numbers the the average exit velocity the the quality of contact stuff he was basically the same guy he's always been. Uh, he did raise launch angle, but for a guy who doesn't actually hit the ball that hard, I don't think that's really that good of a, th- uh, an indicator. Short you know, porch in 3- left th-
0: field helps, though, in Houston.
2: Sure, sure. But he had a 3.22 xwoba, ex-woba, uh, and his career rate is 3.18, and he had not been a guy who consistently outperformed. Uh, I guess he had been a guy who... Had, sorry, I- I'll take that back. He had perform- outperformed his ex-woba um, before, but... I just, yeah. I think you're probably looking at more like a 20 homer pace. I actually think the the batting line could be pretty similar to what you would get from DJ LeMahieu. Uh DJ, Le- DJ LeMahieu is just much more likely to give you stolen bases and and maybe a little more batting average ceiling. But I think Guriel's a fine fallback corner infield option, especially if you need help at batting average. He's just not someone I'm excited about, and I don't think last year was was particularly real.
3: He hit 31 home runs, 20 of them came in a 40-game stretch. Yeah. Gurriel, yeah. He strikes me as a guy who just got insanely hot for a short while.
0: Might have been helped the, by the juice ball as well. I mean, we still don't know what ball is going to be used this sure. year.
3: Yeah. They were it's talking worth, it, in spring worth that, worth that, that... Noting, though, uh, historically, Yuli Gurria, actually Carlos Correa too, but Guriel because Chris mentioned he didn't hit the ball very hard pretty awful numbers in his career in Seattle, Oakland, and Los Angeles. Uh, the three pitchers parks in that division where he'll be spending most of his time this year. So that doesn't help either. But yeah, he's, he's a bust for me. Yuli Gurriel is and Danny Santana, I think is too. I mean, just bottom out potential there. Cause the plate discipline and track record are both so bad. And you know, I'm not excited about drafting Edwin Encarnacion either. Like this is really, uh, I need really, Adam. I need Adam like, here. Extreme fallback territory here at first yeah. base if you just totally mess things up and uh you know if Luke Voigt's still on the board you don't even have reason to mess with this group
0: 3.7 fantasy points per game last year Scott for Edwin Encarnacion that was tied for third at the I, position with DJ yeah. LeMahieu and Josh Bell 34 home runs over 109 games his 155 game pace 48 homers he's I not, don't he's like not done yet it. man
3: I don't like to admit the truth of how good uh, Edwin Encarnacion was on a per game basis last year. Obviously, only played in 109 games, so it's um, it probably didn't feel like that for people who rostered him. And and like 37 years old, a team with with uh, an all star catcher last year as its backup. Now, you know, I, I don't I don't know that Edwin Encarnacion's going to play uh, close to every day for the White Sox. If he does, I mean, shortened season helps with that. But if he doesn't, shortened season really hurts with that, right? That's like you—you you need guys who get playing time. So, and then you know, there's always a chance he falls off at that age too. His his strikeout rate has been rising a little bit over the past few years. Still pretty low, but it's it's been getting worse. And you know, maybe the collapse is coming. Um, I don't like counting him on my, as my first baseman. I don't. Mm. Pretty good value, though, if you want him as a corner infielder, I guess.
0: Adam would not be happy with you. I'm going to send this exact clip to Adam later on, and he's probably going to cry himself to sleep tonight. Let's take a look very quickly at some of the deeper names here. You guys have already talked about Luke Voigt as a breakout candidate going 199.8 is his ADP. Christian Walker in a similar range at 199. About 25 picks later, you have Eric Hosmer. Jock Peterson is a name we've mentioned today. Uh, Daniel Murphy going outside the top 250. Joey Votto. So now we're starting to get into some of these older names at 260. Um, Anyone stand out there? I mean, Christian Walker is kind of interesting, but that means you probably have to take him over Luke Voigt because they go in the same range.
2: Yeah, Christian Walker is is probably the name that I think has the most potential to be a uh, starting caliber first baseman. Although I do want to point out, you know, we've talked about it uh, a decent amount this offseason, but Eric Cosmer is another guy who... That's your guy. Like Reese Hoskins, it's weird because I've never been an Eric Cosmer guy, um, but like Reese Hoskins, he seems to have acknowledged the issue uh, that has been holding him back in, in recent years, and it's that he doesn't hit the ball in the air enough. And it's not necessarily that he has to rework his swing. He hits the ball playing hard. He makes good contact. Uh, he's another guy like Jose Abreu who produces more RBI than you would expect given the, the other numbers around him. And that's because he does put the ball in play uh, and he hits in that part of the lineup where RBI opportunities are. But, you know, if Eric Cosmer does hit the ball in the air, we've been saying it his whole career, if he starts hitting the ball in the air a little more often, he can be, uh, I think he can be a borderline elite player at this position. It's just a question of whether the changes that he's made and the, the changes in his mindset and approach uh, can get him there. I. It's an open question. We didn't get to see it in the spring much, although I did, do think he was hitting the ball in the air more in the spring than he ever had been. Um, so it's something to watch.
3: I kind of think I should have taken Christian Walker as my sleeper pick at this position. <laughs> he
0: was pretty good last year, man.
3: Hard hit rate, he was 16th. I mean, he was right there with like Jordan Alvarez in terms of hard hit rate. And, um, you know, so clearly elite as far as that goes. It first really extended opportunity in the majors, even though he had a very productive minor league career. And I, I think he's somebody whose value definitely goes up with the introduction of the um, the DH spot because they had Jake Lamb who they were going to try and find at bats for Kevin Crone who had insane minor league production last year, they were going to need to find a bats for him. Josh Rojas. Like there were, there were so many players who could take from Christian Walker's workload. If, if the diamondbacks weren't fully sold on him as their full-time first baseman. And now there's an extra spot to play with. I, I think that really, I think that makes a difference for me with Christian Walker. I think to the point now with that DH spot that where I wouldn't mind having him as my starting first baseman, if, if it came to that, you know, I, I think the production was more or less legitimate. He had 259 with 29 homers and you know, uh, it took him after taking him a while to inherit the full-time starting job. So he could be a 30 homer pace guy, I think. And, uh, and maybe even hit for a better batting average than that.
2: One more note on Hosmer. Uh, they don't track ground balls and fly balls on MLB.com. Unfortunately it's ground outs and air outs, which is kind of frustrating, but, for his career in spring training, Eric Cosmer had averaged 2.28 ground ball outs per fly ball out. This season, he had, this year in spring training, it was only 10 games. It was, he actually had more air outs in the air than ground ball outs. So, you know, it's only 10 games. However, the best ground ball to fly ball ratio he's had over the last three seasons in any game, 10 game stretch was 0.70, which is basically what he was in the spring. So, It's not guaranteed. It's something to watch for. All righty.
0: First base is in the books. Tomorrow we'll have second base. We'll go around the horn the rest of the week. Friday we have a mailbag, so make sure you send some questions in for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today on our YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye.